0: Hi, I'm Bronnie, Uh, we were here last year, Um, Phil and I, we've got three sons, one of them's 42, can you believe it? And um, you meant to say no. And and, um, we loved being here last year and you know I just want to say, I just want to say that there's an elephant in this room. And I know that's normally like, ooh, something we shouldn't talk about. But the, the expectancy of the Holy Spirit is huge. In fact, I was, you know, and I hope this doesn't put any of you off, but sometimes when the Holy Spirit manifests himself in me, my hands tremble, I tremble a bit. And that is just the power of God touching our flesh. It doesn't make me magic. It doesn't make me any better or any worse. It is just the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, before the Holy Spirit came, we had the Spirit with us, but we didn't have the Holy Spirit in us. And now, because of what was said and because of what was happening, this can be poured on all flesh. This experience is for everyone and many of you will have experienced it. Many of you might have some questions and maybe some of you haven't, but it is open. It is a free invitation. The Holy Spirit is here. He longs, longs, broods over us, wants to empower us, wants to comfort us, wants to teach us, wants to lead us. And as we read the scriptures, we'll see how amazing this is. So could you stand, please, as I just read the first scripture, which is Acts 1, and it's going to be 1 through to 7. And this is Luke speaking. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, To the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speaking about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They didn't understand it. Some experiences you do not understand until you're inside them. There are some things you can't, it's like the study of God can only be understood in a certain way until you've actually crossed a line into God's kingdom. You can study about him, but it's only when you experience him and he dwells within that you have a lot more understanding. They still didn't understand. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As he said this, he was taken up before their eyes. Interesting, isn't it, Please sit. that um, after the resurrection, he was around for 40 days. Now, I've, I've thought about this. Can you imagine if you were put to death by religious leaders, if you were cheated, if you were flogged, that you might want to turn up to some of those people after you were resurrected. (laughs) You might just want to turn up to Pilate. You might want to turn up to the temple leaders and say, hello. (laughs) But what did Jesus do? His passion, his desire, was to actually encourage his followers. He spent so much time with the disciples to restore them. You know, he knew that they felt bad. You see, he understands our frailties. That's what the Holy Spirit, we have a high priest who understands our weaknesses. We need his power. We need his direction. We need it. And uh, he spent that 40 days just talking about the kingdom to them. But still, again, they didn't fully get it until they got the power of the spirit in them. And when um, just all those things, he spent a lot of time. There's a very beautiful part where they were out fishing and he comes and he's on the shore. And Peter's the one who's, you know, been the sort of very ace fisherman, and a number of them are. And when he sees him, he jumps overboard and goes in. And there's Jesus. They get the fish, and they're cooking some fish. And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter becomes a little bit like, of course, I love you. And then he asks him again. And each time he says, do you love me? First of all, he says, feed my sheep feed my lambs and feed my sheep again. Do you love me more than these? And I thought, what does he mean? Does he mean the disciples? Or is he looking at the fishing nets? And is he saying to Peter, your days of being a fisher of fish are over, and you are now going to become the shepherd of the church. And at the end of Peter's life, he said, I have co-shepherded the church with Jesus Christ. So that's what he did. He restored Peter from his shame. He gave him, uh, everyone started calling him Peter instead of Cephas because he was becoming who he was always meant to be. Do you know that's what we're doing? We're becoming who we were always meant to be. I'm still becoming who I was always meant to be. And I'm 70 and I'm still becoming that. And I think and I believe and I hope that'll go on until the day I meet Jesus and then I will see clearly." So that's what he said to Peter. He sorted them out, and he almost sort of saying, you're going to be very important, Peter, and what happens next. But they still didn't understand, but they did do what he said, and they went to the upper room in Jerusalem. Now, the interesting time is what this time was, because Jerusalem was still the place, even though Jews were dispersed throughout the world, the known world, it was still the place they came to for major festivals. And Passover was one, and um, it was actually called the First Fruits Festival. And so a lot of these Jews who'd come from afar stayed in Jerusalem for this time. Amazing how God, he's really good with timing, isn't he? So the the actual town went from 150,000 to nearly a million. So it was a huge amount of people from various different places that would be taking whatever experience they had back to where they were. So this is what the the whole context was. And let's stand again because... I want to read this. And you know, the scripture, I love the scripture so much. It is so powerful. It has the power to change your life. It's sharper and active than any two-edged sword. I can be reading the Bible. It can change my mind. It can cause me to repent and often does, I might tell you. But let's just listen to this wonderful story of how the Holy Spirit comes. So Pentecost was a festival that they were observing, which was about the crops. They'd had the Passover, which was about the the Israelites coming out of Egypt. They'd already had their Passover made into something else because they had the Lamb of God at the table with them even though everyone's looking for where's the meat. Well, he was at the table with them, the Lamb of God. And now they're going to what they think is the first fruits festival, which the Greeks call Pentecost. And um, you see, we didn't come up with Pentecost. It was a festival. So let's just speak about this in two. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears our own language in our native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia and Pamphyla, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs, we hear our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now, isn't it interesting, this wind was no, it wasn't even anything like the wind you had here yesterday that it closed the Harbour Bridge. It was much greater. To have called all those people into the courts, into near... The wind was huge. It was a mighty wind. Sometimes we say the Holy Spirit's a gentleman, but he's actually a force of nature as well. And the Jews would have had a concept, you know, that of of, the, of God being like a wind, with the creation stories and things. But this wind was what attracted them. It wasn't actually what they were speaking. And it wasn't even the, the tongues of fire, but they would have seen those, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that might have turned a head or two. But that's what attracted him. The Holy Spirit is often described as a mighty one. Please sit down. Oh, I could have had you standing for the whole time. <laughs> and uh, that's what drew them. What the heck is happening? What is this power? Where what Why, was what they actually asked. They were perplexed and amazed. Do you know that the disciples didn't realize they were speaking in tongues? And in this time, it was known tongues of someone else's language. And those people didn't realize that the disciples were speaking in tongues. They couldn't get over how these uneducated Galatians were actually speaking in languages that were usually associated more with educated people. That's what they were shocked about. But it got their attention, didn't it? You know, when we worship, we get God's attention. He often, he's always giving us his attention. And you know, we talked, i would listened to ta- uh, two sermons from Dan the last two weeks, and they're excellent. And the whole thing of why we say, come Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit's actually here. But it's a much different thing. And Chris Grave, a great analogy, and he's on that phone at the moment. Um, <laughs> He said, Oh, that's all right. <laughs> he said, If I'm talking to you and I've got my phone in front of me, I'll, you'll probably stop paying any attention. I wonder if the Holy Spirit feels like that. You see, we need to posture ourselves, we need to practice the presence of God. We need to say, Holy Spirit, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm willing. We need to focus and we need to posture for the Holy Spirit. Now, these guys didn't even get a chance. The Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, but at least they knew something about it. And then this other crowd, all these devout devout Jews who six weeks before, five weeks before, had seen the disciples running like scared sheep because Jesus was crucified, Suddenly they see this group of men come down and have this and are speaking in these incredible languages and they actually like whoa and then Peter addresses the crowd he stands up with the 11 raises his voice this is 2:14 if you want to look along he stood up with the 11 raised his voice and addressed the crowd fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem let me explain this to you can you see something's happened to Peter And he gives this most amazing theological message talking about who Jesus was, how they need to respond, and what is happening. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this. These people are not drunk. Now, it was weird for them to say that because the Jewish people didn't usually even start eating before nine o'clock in the morning. It's only nine in the morning, and this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, you see, and they would have been familiar with these scriptures. Devout Jews would have known these scriptures. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Uh, The sun will be torn to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that would have freaked them out. Because what he was actually introducing them to was the idea that all flesh, all men, Gentiles, But what interests me is these devout Jews have been so fussy and many of them would have challenged Jesus and challenged the disciples. When the power of the Holy Spirit came through what they heard and through Peter's message. See, Peter was now filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he preached out of the Holy Spirit's power. He still, Peter would have known a lot of these things, but some reason he couldn't get the courage to speak about these things before he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is the difference that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit makes, that he can give a message, and then they said, what must we do? They were cut to the heart. Now, how come they weren't cut to the heart when Jesus was on that cross? What had changed? They were under the power of the Holy Spirit. When we speak to, about, to people about Jesus, and then we go about as, a, as church, as in your workplace, anywhere, you be aware that you have the Holy Spirit within you and one sentence can cut to the quick of someone's heart and draw them towards Jesus. And then they said, what must we do to be saved? Don't we long for people to come in here and say, what must we do to be saved? Instead, we're trying to convince them with a hundred roast dinners and different things. And that's fabulous, Um, that is fantastic. But don't we wanna see the day when they're coming in and saying, what must I do to be saved? So that we're not having to talk them into it. And I mean, I love scriptures, I love theology, I love doubts. I love questions. I like ponderings. But it was the power of the Spirit that changed my life. I became a Christian when I was 25. I don't know if I told this story or not. I was drunk at the time. And um, God spoke to me and uh, said, this life is not for you anymore. It was, wasn't harsh. It was beautiful. And uh, I, I didn't argue with it. The next, when I actually went through a prayer. I didn't think I was a sinner. I laughed with embarrassment when they got me to repeat that. And um, because that comes, you see, that's what Peter said to them then. He said, they said, what must we do? He said, you must repent, believe in Jesus and be baptized with water and the Holy Spirit. You see, in order to have these things, we need to repent. Repent's kind of a bit of an old-fashioned, maybe not so cool word that people don't even want to say, but you know, you can do all the crying and screaming you want and never change your heart. What all you need to do is turn your heart away from that thing that is trying to fulfill what only Jesus, what only the Father, what only the Holy Spirit can do for you. It's a turning away and a turning towards. You know, I mean, I think no one had to tell me that the life I was living, because I got baptized in the Holy Spirit straight away, I didn't get any chance to read about it, to read anything against it, to know what was going to happen, I just got baptised in the spirit, and I suspect that some demonic presences left my life, and now that might be something to get your head around, but I knew nothing about demonic presences. I knew nothing, I'd never heard of it, I'd only been to church once. Now I, I just think that they were afflicting me, they weren't controlling me, they were afflicting me, but when they prayed for me, and it's no need to be frightened of this, it was just like that. Some stuff came out, and they didn't make much fuss about it, so I thought, this must be normal. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and on I went, and that was 45 years ago. Wow. And I really think this journey would not have been so exciting, so wonderful, without the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not a once and only experience. It says in Acts 4, times of refreshing will come upon you. Again, it says repent, and times of refreshing will come upon you. But again, it's not a heavy thing. Metanoia is the word for repent, that's the Greek word, and it just means to turn away from, to change your mind. I don't need to get all my needs met through Netflix. I can actually spend some time in prayer and enjoy it. That was last week's prayer. Because sometimes I just want to get all my emotional needs or whatever, escapism, whatever it is, met by Netflix. But in the end, I, like I end up feeling like, ooh, no. You know? And I'm, I'm changed that I actually love to be in God's presence. I love how you, how you formed this church, how it's been around formation, because this is what's so important, discipleship. And I'm afraid there are people our age who still don't know what it is to be a disciple. And I don't know if that's the fault of the church and how we've been teaching it, but it doesn't matter because it's never too late. But what you are doing and meeting in your circles and doing the disciplines of prayer and communion, and they're beautiful. And that's exactly what the Acts Church did. You know. So what happened? 3,000 got saved. So suddenly the church is born without the mighty wind, without the power of the Spirit, without the tongues of fire, that wouldn't have happened. What would have happened to the disciples? I think the whole thing would have just died out as they died. But because they're now empowered, they were willing to give their lives. They were willing to speak anywhere about Jesus. They were willing to defy authorities who told them not to speak about Jesus. You know, there's, we don't sort of um, promote defying authorities for the sake of it. But, you know, there are some higher laws, and that is speaking about Jesus. And we, we can be wise about it. So that's what changed the disciples. And suddenly they had these 3,000 people, and they didn't know what to do with them. The church, the empowered church, there's nothing as wonderful as the empowered church. We need to be empowered to see people come to Jesus. We need to be empowered to be bold enough to share. We need to be empowered to share our sins with each other. It talks, share your faults one with another, confession. And then those others will pray for us. We need, there's the gifts of the Spirit. You cannot operate in the uh, gifts of the Spirit unless you have the Holy Spirit within you. Those gifts are gifts for other people. They're not actually for you. There's only one that's for you, and that's the devotional gift of tongues, which is given to you to build you up. It says in Jude, build yourself up in the most holy faith, keeping yourself in the love of God. That was like a revelation for me. I thought... I can keep myself in the love of God by praying in the Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit, what does it do? What does it change for us? It changes everything. It changes everything. And you might be a fabulous evangelist, and you may not have experienced the Spirit, but when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I don't think Peter and the disciples, they were meeting between themselves and they had all that time, um, you know, picking Matthias to replace Judas and that. But until then, they were pretty much the guys that had lived with Jesus, who had seen his death. They knew it was incredible that he'd risen again, but they still didn't know that they were going to give, actually get out to more corners of the world than he'd ever been able to, not because they were fabulous, but because of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to go without the Holy Spirit. Every, we've been married for 44 years, we've been, we lived in India for three years, um, working with a mission organisation called YWAM Dilaram, which was taking in um, hippies, um, people from Europe who'd come to live in India forever because the heroin was cheap. And, um, We were taking in people into our house. We were seeing them transformed. We saw people come off heroin. Hard work, but we were praying. We would be praying around the clock while they were coming off heroin. You know, some of them would still jump the balcony and go, but it didn't matter. We were giving. Nothing given in love is ever wasted. But because we believed the power of the Spirit, we believed in what we were doing. And it's the same in the church, in the kids' church. We need the power of the Spirit we, in everywhere, every aspect of the church, we need this. And you have got a, you know, I had a word a couple of years ago for Ella and Dan, and I said, I see, I saw above your church the word Samaritan's Inn, and um, you know, it's from that whole story of the Samaritan and how he stopped and he got off his horse And he helped that man, and I just thought, wow, your church, you're going to get people in that other people won't get off the horse to mix with. Won't want to touch them, won't want to talk with them, won't want to welcome them. You need the power, that's the power of the Spirit for that. We all need that, to do the things we're called to do, and we're all called to do different things. The power of the Spirit had now come upon them and within them. It gave them the boldness to witness. It allowed individuals to perceive God personally instead of corporately. It didn't happen in the temple. It happened in this temple. It happened in their hearts. Before that, that had sort of corporate things that happened in the temple. They were empowered to go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. The very thing he'd said to them in Matthew. The very thing he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. And yet he told them to wait until the Holy Spirit had come. They weren't making disciples in that time, in that 10 days after he ascended. They were there waiting and they did not know how long they were going to have to wait. But God, of course, coincided it with Pentecost, where you had the most people available to take the gospel out. We need both. We need the power of God, and we need the word of God. We need it all. If you are all social justice without the power, the trend I have seen over years is that it becomes, it might still be doing good social work, but it becomes a lifeless, and you're not actually allowed to speak about Jesus to the people you're helping. Which is fine for organizations, but we have to decide what we want to be. Do we wanna share Jesus as well as food and warmth and comfort? And if you have all the kind of Holy Spirit stuff and no disciplines and no word of God and no social justice, you become a clicky little club that becomes very cliched, because God is all about balance. He tells us so much about reaching out to the poor, but he gives us the power to do it. If you keep doing that kind of work, social justice work, without the power of the Spirit, let me guarantee you will burn out. I've seen it over and over and over, and yet the Pentecostal church, you know, it's a shame it's come to mean something quite, because we're the children of Pentecost, but the church that would be known as the Pentecostal church is not known for its good works, but I believe that's all changing, because we're going to have, for what God is about to do on the earth, and I know we've been saying this for years, <laughs> like it's just around the corner, but I do believe that the gospel is going to go out in a very powerful way through young people. You know, the kind of things that's happening at Asbury and other places. But without the power of the Spirit, it, it just won't work. Because the power of the Spirit gives us the visions, gives us the dreams. You know, I had a... And also, the power of the Spirit helps us pray. And I might have told this story last year, but I'm sure there's quite a few who wouldn't mind hearing it again. And then there's probably a lot who didn't hear it. We went through... We were pastors of a church in Reumati, uh down at Kapiti. And we went through a very painful time. And um, I didn't know what to do. And I actually just started, in Romans 8 it talks about groanings too deep for words. So I did this walk along Pekka Pekka Beach where there's not that many people and actually allowed a groaning to come out of me and a wailing and it was of the spirit. A day later, my very best friend, um, who led me to Jesus. She said, I had a dream about you last night. She said, and in the dream you were lying face down in the puddle and you were drowning. Interesting that it was a puddle and I was drowning. And she said, I pulled you up and I started shouting in tongues over you. I think I did tell this last year. But she said, I, I'm Welsh, my father's Welsh. He left when we were very young. We were cut off from our Welsh heritage because of that and um, she said there was a Welsh choir singing in Welsh to you, to hear you. And you know when she told me that I cried for three days because that's the language of my bones. You know, My father's Welsh, that's my heritage. But that's the kind of, I believed it was to do with the groaning because I believe in me there was deep rejection from when he left and this is only a couple of years ago. This stuff can go on for years. And up it came, and God gave a beautiful dream. So here he, we have the church. This is just, I'll just finish up now. I'll just tell you one more dream, which I had recently. I was walking along, and I realised I was meant to be catching a plane, and I didn't have my luggage. And I'm kind of like, that's not unusual for me. I'm like, pack it in the last five minutes, you know? And. Um, and just don't usually take very much because I think, oh well, I'll just buy a new T-shirt or something when I get there, you know. We're just so rich, Phil and I. (laughs) (laughs) And um, in this dream, I'm thinking about luggage and I think I'll blow the luggage. Next minute, I am almost flying. I come up off the ground and I'm running like running, like Usain Bolt, you wouldn't have a chance. And and in the dream, I think to myself, why the heck didn't I know about this all my life? And I could have been in the Olympics and everything. (laughs) Even in the dream, I'm thinking this. And just before that part of the dream, and of course, what was it about? It was Hebrews 12. Be unentangled from the baggage that you carry and run with your eyes set on Jesus, the author and finisher of your life. I didn't need the baggage from my life. We don't need the baggage. And if some of your baggage is negative experiences of the Holy Spirit, can I ask you to trust a little and invite Holy Spirit to come and you know, take away perhaps some of the doubts and the questions you've had, to give you peace, to meet you. We don't need the baggage because we can't run with it. And I think Jesus wants us to run in the power of the Spirit with our hearts and our minds set on Jesus, the perfecter and author of our faith. Why don't, um, if someone could just come up and play on the keys, I think it'd be lovely if we could stand up and do what we've been talking about. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. You might want to just personally put your hands up into a position...